Hello and welcome to the Greenhouse Church Podcast. My name is Benj Gould and I'm the lead pastor. We are all about creating an environment where anyone can follow the way of Jesus. So we hope that this teaching helps you on your way. Ah, how good. Did anyone else have a little tear through that, or is that just me? There are two C's, uh, one in Jordan and one in Israel, just a little bit north. One's called the Dead Sea, the one in the south in Jordan, and the one above is called the Sea of Galilee. Uh, they're about 100 kilometers apart, both very similar sort of environments. Um, Dead Sea is a little bit larger than the Sea of Galilee. Yet they have one big difference. In the Dead Sea, there's not any life. It's, it's dead. That's where it gets its name from. Huge salt content. There's no fish or anything. But the Sea of Galilee, 100 kilometers north, is teeming with fish. It's a fishing village. You know, all the stories around the fishermen and the disciples in the, the Bible are around the Sea of Galilee. And both these seas, both have a similar environment, similar, similar climate. They both have rivers and estuaries running into them. But the one difference between the two is the Sea of Galilee has an output. It's got water going out, and the Dead Sea doesn't. And so the Dead Sea just pulls up. It's got nothing going out, so it doesn't have any movement. And movement creates life. And when it comes to following Jesus, we can very easily get into just doing it for ourselves, you know, a little self-help project. You know, if I just read uh, scripture, you might, you might be in a part of our um, daily Bible reading plan, or if I just have a little rhythm of praying, or Sabbath, or if I come to church, or a dinner party, or I'm in a, in a triad, then I'll just slowly get a little bit better. But the thing is, just like the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, we need an output. Our following Jesus has to lead somewhere, has to lead into something, otherwise we would just end up spiritually dead, like we're just gluttons just consuming more content. But following Jesus should actually create a healthy soul turned outwards. Well, Jesus talked about loving God and loving neighbor. That that is actually the, the form of a healthy human being. And so we talk about around here following the way of Jesus, not to the better ourselves, not to feel a little bit better about who we are, but we follow the way of Jesus into the restoration of our neighborhoods. We partner with God in the restoration of all things. Um, we need an effective vision, though, of what it means to live in a restored world, to, 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 uh, to understand what we are being restored to and what our neighborhoods are being restored to. So there is a story all through Scripture. You can map it out by reading the first two chapters of the Bible and the last two chapters of the Bible. Pretty easy. In the first two chapters of the Bible, it's the story of God creating the heavens and the earth, and He creates a garden, and he creates all these animals, and he creates Adam and Eve, and their role is to tend to the garden, to cultivate it, to work it, to be fruitful and multiply, 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 multiply um, is what the command that God gives to Adam and Eve, to take the garden and, and bring the best out of it, take the raw materials and continue to create a garden. And every scholar agrees, or most scholars agree, that they were meant to not just stay in the garden, but to extend it out to re-garden the whole world. 
The story goes a little differently. Adam and Eve eat from the tree that God told them not to, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which was them in many ways taking knowledge and good, of good and evil into their own hands, redefining what's good and evil on their own terms rather than on God's, and the world spirals. But then you read in the end of the Scriptures, Revelation 21 and 22, and we see this image of a garden again, but a garden city. It's a garden that's been cultivated and it's full of life and culture. We see uh, this city come down from heaven. And there's, there's the tree of life and there's rivers and the tree and the leaves that says uh, for the healing of the nation. It says that God will wipe away every tear. And um, Revelation 21 verse 5, God says this. He says, behold, I am making all things new. All things new. And that's the way God works. He doesn't make all new things. He doesn't just like start again and make a new thing at the end. He makes all things new. He takes the stuff of this earth and creates it new into the garden city. That's the way that God works. Resurrection and restoration is the same thing. Jesus came, he died again, but he resurrected into his same body with scars. He was making all things new, not all new things. Tim Sorens, our friend and uh, author, he's uh, in Seattle, he says, there is not one molecule on this earth that, do- that God doesn't want to restore. There is not one molecule in- on this earth that God doesn't want to renew. He was making all things new. And we find ourselves in this story, but we find ourselves between what was and what will be. And we know that we don't live in a perfect utopia, right? We know that things aren't as they're meant to be. You, you just need to scroll on Instagram or watch the news or think about what's going on in Israel or Gaza or the division in our country or whatever it is, and you know that the world is not as it's meant to be. In the midst of that, people that find ourselves in between what was and what will be, Paul, who was a great church planter, he wrote a lot of the New Testament. He wrote a letter to a church in Philippi. The letter's called Philippians. It's a church he planted in Philippi. He's writing a letter. And he says this little phrase in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. He says, We are citizens of heaven, or you can say citizens of the garden city, for our purposes today, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Notice the return, because that's important. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly awaiting for Him to return as our Savior. This is written to people that are finding themselves in the middle of the story, between what was and what will be. Now, the Philippians, when, they, when he says this word citizens, they know very well what this means, because Philippi was a little city, it's in Macedonia, kind of north of Greece, and when the Roman Empire was expanding across the known world, uh, Romans wanted to make Philippi a little Rome, that was their kind of That was their mission. They wanted to make this a little outpost of Rome. And so what they did was they gave everyone that was in Philippi, who weren't Romans, Roman citizenship. And Roman citizenship was a huge deal because it allowed you to buy property. It allowed you to pass property on to your children. So there's this kind of generational wealth thing going on. It allowed you to legally marry. It allowed you to get certain jobs and and be involved in certain religious systems. Um, Citizenship was a huge deal in the Roman Empire. Most people were not citizens. And so this little uh, city in Philippi was very proud about their citizenship. And so when Paul is writing to this little church plant, who find themselves, most of them probably reading this letter, hearing this letter for the first time, are Roman citizens. And he says this, you are citizens, not of Rome, 
but citizens of heaven. And now the Philippians knew very well what this meant. Sometimes we read this as Christians and say, we think, I'm a citizen of heaven, which means, you know, my citizenship is somewhere else. I've got to go somewhere else. And often that's been the story of Western Christianity. We think we're going to go somewhere else when we die. We're going to go to heaven. And there's a, a truth in that, I guess, but heaven is God's space. Earth is our space. And we see right in the end, Revelation 21 and 22, is heaven actually coming to earth. And even here we see it. We are eagerly waiting for him to return. Not for us to go find him, but for him to return. And so the Philippians knew that them having citizenship in Philippi, the goal wasn't for them to go back to Rome. The Romans didn't want them back in Rome. The Romans wanted them in Philippians. They were meant to bring the the values of Rome to bear in Philippi, to bring Rome to Philippi. That That was kind of their intention and their purpose. And for those of us that find ourselves... As citizens of the Garden City, we follow Jesus. We find ourselves between what was and what will be. Just like Paul writing to the Philippians, we too are called to be citizens of the new creation. Citizens of the Garden City. Citizens of heaven. Not because we're going to end up in heaven necessarily, but because God wants us to bring heaven here. He wants us to partner with him. And, you know, Jesus prayed this as well. He said, may your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, here on earth, as it is in heaven. We are to be outposts of the garden city, ambassadors of reconciliation, Paul says elsewhere in his letters. But how do we know, then, if we're to bring restoration to the world around us, restoration to the neighborhoods, to bring the values of the garden city, the the garden city that has every tribe and uh, tongue, where there's no sickness and healing and hurt, where God is making all things new. How do we know how to bring that to bear right in front of us, in the mess of our life. What does that actually look like? We're going to explore that over the next couple of weeks in our restoration series, but I want to take it at just, just this angle this morning. There is a thing that um, Christian philosophers in the Middle Ages created as they were reading Scripture and they were thinking about the kingdom of God, and they came up with this idea of the transcendentals. The transcendentals comes from the word transcendent, which means, um, something that's transcendent just means that it points to an ultimate reality. And so we have people walk in this building all the time. They come, they see it from the outside, and they say, well, that's kind of ugly. And then they walk inside, and they're like, oh, that's kind of beautiful. And often the conversations we have with them is like, this is a transcendent space. And what they mean by that is it's full of light, and it's, it's, it, there's, a, there's a kind of a piece to it. But transcendent is really about just pointing to an ultimate thing. It's something about this space, or you've been on a mountaintop, or you've been at the ocean, and there's something about it that points to a higher reality. And so the ancient Christian philosophers, the old Christian philosophers would say that there are three things, three classical transcendentals, beauty, goodness, and truth. Beauty, goodness, and truth. Beauty is beauty, architecture, great food, fashion, the natural beauty of the world. Goodness is about um, making the world right, things that are pure, whole, kind, forgiveness. And then there's truth, knowledge, wisdom, guidance, learning. And the old Christian philosophers would say that these are the three markers of the kingdom of God. And so you want to see what the garden city looks like. You just think about a place where beauty, the volume of beauty is turned all the way up, where the volume of goodness is turned all the way up where the volume of truth is turned all the way 
up. All truth, they would say, is God's truth. So anything you can find in the world that's true points to God as a higher reality, points to, finds itself in God's truth, whether it's in science or in literature or in scripture, all of truth, any truth you can find, if it's true truth, is pointing towards God. Any beauty you find is pointing to the, to the reality that in ultimately we find ultimate beauty in God, in the garden city. And all goodness is God's goodness. These things, these three things are transcendent because we never get enough of them. You don't ever say, oh, I've had enough goodness for today, right? I don't want any more. No one treat me good anymore today. I'm like, just treat me like crap today because I've had my fill. Or I'm, I'm, I'm so sick of truth now. I just want some people to start lying to me, right? We, we want all of this. Like we, we have this insatiable desire. And the philosophers, philosophers would say, if there's a desire for these things in our life that actually can't be met in this world, it points to a higher reality, an ultimate reality, where that hunger will ultimately be met for beauty and goodness and truth. We find that in the new creation. We find that in God. Now, if you've ever um, done philosophy at uni, um, you've probably talked about Plato's cave. Plato was an old Greek philosopher. I'm very philosophical this morning. I'm sorry, but I hope you're tracking with me. Plato's cave. And he, he tells this parable of, um, you imagine a caveman sitting down and he's looking at the wall of a cave. You can see my shadow there. You imagine he's got his little fire in front of him and the, the cave of the mouth is open behind him. And you imagine all his life, all he's ever done is stared at, at the wall. And you see sort of trees rustling in the background, maybe a lion walking past or birds or, or clouds or rain. And so all he's ever seeing is these shadows, shadows of actually a reality. If he turned out and walked outside, he would see what trees really are or rain really is or the wind really is. And um, Paul talks about this as well. He talks about shadows of the reality of things to come. And so the philosophers would say that beauty and goodness and truth in our life are just like shadows on the wall of what really is there, of the ultimate depth and beauty of what God is bringing to bear on the world. And the garden city will be the fulfillment of that, heaven and earth meeting together. There'll be reconciliation, there'll be beauty, there'll be truth, and there'll be goodness, right? You picture a world without beauty, just where everything is ugly. You picture a world without truth, where there's just light. I mean, we're pretty close to that right now. But um, I, I, I picture a world without goodness, right? Where people don't treat each other with any form of kindness. Then the opposite of that is just those things turned all the way up to 11. Where those things are maximalized. That is a picture of the Garden City, restoration. Where Jesus takes the stuff of this world and makes all things new. But here's the thing. Are you tracking so far? Kind of? Yeah, yeah. Give me a wave if you have no idea what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> God was like, I'm tracking, and then I said, give me a wave if you have no idea, and he's mid-wave, and he's like, no, no, no. <laughs> um, truth, goodness, and beauty. Pictures, shadows of what the kingdom of God is like. And as followers of Jesus, citizens of the new creation, citizens of the kingdom of God, our goal is to find those things in our life. Find the truth, find the goodness, find the beauty, and add our weight to those things. That's what it looks like to join in the restoration. In the way that we treat one another, treat our neighbors, treat our strangers, treat the, the boss who annoys us, the way that we use our money or we use our devices, 
the way that we make a meal for someone, the way that we share around the table, the way that we come to church and worship, all of those things are pictures of the kingdom of God coming on earth. But here's the thing. We need wisdom to work out what actually is good, what actually is true, and what actually is beautiful. We live in an age of relativism where people might say, well, that might be true for you, but it's not true for me. You follow your truth or find yourself. And so we live in a very confusing time in that sense, right? Because what one person says is good, you post it on social media and there's like a billion people that tell you that's the wrong thing to do, right? You post support for Israel or support for Gaza and you'll find a lot of people that have a different view than you, right? Um, Because we're just like living in this kind of echo chamber of different things that people think. And so what's true for you is not necessarily true for me. And the great sin of Adam and Eve, I talked about it before, was actually taking the knowledge of good and evil for ourselves, defining it on our own terms rather than allowing God to define what's good and evil. And so when it comes to working out what actually is beautiful, what actually is good and what actually is true, our ultimate reference point is Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment of these three things. Jesus was truth embodied. He said, I am the truth. That's what he said, I am the way, the life, and the truth. He taught in parables. He gave incredible teachings. Actually, Jesus' kind of ethic of life still impacts. It's the most incredible ethic that that human history has ever known. We still base a lot of our societies on his teaching. There's a random guy in Nazareth from 2,000 years ago. Jesus is embodied goodness. He said, I am the good shepherd. He healed people. He ate around tables with people. He gave hospitality. He welcomed the stranger in. He bring restoration. He cast out demons. He, he gave forgiveness. He created community. He made things right. And Jesus is embodied beauty. I think the best marker of this is how often you see kids drawn to Jesus. There's like this weight that Jesus has, this kind of beauty that Jesus has, where kids, kids are often very good judges of character, rush around Jesus. And all the people that kind of didn't have a place and probably lived in a different way than Jesus' ethic did, they loved to be around him. Prostitutes and tax collectors, the people that were kind of the least of the least, lepers, all these people were drawn to the beauty of Jesus. And so following Jesus into the restoration of our neighborhood means engaging and fueling the fire on anything we find in our life that's beautiful and good and true that resembles Jesus. Jesus is our reference point. And so we live between what was and what will be. We find ourselves as citizens of this kingdom of God, citizens of the garden city, citizens of heaven, citizens of the way of Jesus. And our goal is not to end up somewhere else, but to bring the kingdom to bear right where we are as individuals, as a community, where you, where you work, on your street, with your enemies, the people that gossip behind you, behind your back, the people that stabbed you in the back. Our goal as followers of Jesus is to live out and embody the kingdom of God. The band can come back up. I just want to read one last passage for you. This is from Ezekiel 37. And Ezekiel was a prophet in the Old Testament. And he got this vision from God. 
and um, the vision was of a valley of dry bones. And often, you know, we look around in our world and it sort of feels like there are just heaps, rubbles, piles of dry bones around us. We know that the world is not as it's meant to be. We find ourselves again between what was in the garden and what will be in the garden city, but sometimes we look around and all we see is pain and hurting and division and anxiety and depression. And some of the, we, we experience that in our own life, right? We experience that in the depths of our souls, hopelessness. But this is what God says to Ezekiel. And this is kind of shows us how we partner with God in the restoration of all things. It says this, verse 1, The Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. Can you picture it? You might want to close your eyes. A valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. Then he asked me, Son of man, can these bones become living people again? O sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. And he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Can you picture it? Then you will know that I'm the Lord. So I spoke this message. So this is Ezekiel. He's speaking what God told him to speak. Just as he told me. Suddenly, as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. Then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones and skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the wind, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath from the four winds, breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me and breath came into their bodies. They all came to life and stood up on their feet, a great army. In many ways, we live in the valley of dry bones. And it is very much the work of the Spirit to bring resurrection and renewal. We know the promise we see in Revelation 21 and 22 is that God is coming to make all things new. And that's very much His work. We don't we, don't, we can't do that. He, he alone can do that. But just like Ezekiel had a part to play in prophesying to the, to the dead bones, so do we as a community. We have a part to play in prophesying. Prophecy just means speaking what God is speaking, aligning yourself what God is doing. And so that's what we do. Align ourselves with the truth that we find, the goodness, the beauty, all of that stuff that looks like Jesus. And we throw our weight at that. That's us. That's our version of prophesying with what the Lord says. It's the Spirit of God that brings the resurrection and pulls muscles and tendons and breath and skin back together. We get to play a part. We find ourselves in the story. And part of restoration is to restory. It's a huge part of it. 
to find ourselves again in the right story, in the cosmic story of what God is doing in our world because we get so lost and we get so focused on what's going on in our life and so we get focused on the problems. We see around us and we see dry bones. But if we looked up and saw the story, garden to garden city. Would you stand with me? I'd love to pray for you. You might want to close your eyes if you feel comfortable just to open your hands out in front of you. It's a sign of being open to what God's doing. And we just pray the ancient prayer that the church has prayed for generations. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. I speak right now to the parts of us that feel dry, the parts of us that feel rattled, the parts of us that feel like they're on a heap on the floor. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, come alive, dry bones. Breathe, Holy Spirit. Bring renewal and resurrection. Bring restoration. We know that if you're restoring the whole world, then you start actually by restoring us. And so we ask that you would just cover us with your grace, with your forgiveness, with your healing, whether it be physical or emotional. We pray that you would stitch up wounds. Thank you that you are beautiful and good and true. And so we speak that into existence in our own hearts and lives. And as a church, we stand prophetically and speak to the neighborhoods around us, the spaces we find ourselves. Would you come, Holy Spirit? Would you bring tendons and skin and muscles to those bones that are dry and broken? Would you bring restoration and resurrection and renewal to the people and the places around us? Thank you that you make all things new. There is not a molecule on this planet that you don't want to renew and restore. And so we ask that uh, we ask that you would come. That you would bring pockets of this garden city. Help us to be ambassadors, citizens of heaven. We thank you that it's just the beginning of what you're doing here. We thank you that there is more to come. We thank you for the people getting baptized today, that they are stepping into that resurrection, that renewal, that they're embodying that story. But we ask for more and more and more stories like that. We ask for our friends and our family and our neighbors. We ask for hope where there is hopelessness, for peace where there is anxiety, for joy where there is depression, for unity where there is division, for love where there is hate. We ask, Spirit, that you would come. This is what the Sovereign Lord says.